Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, I just wanted to say I love your show. Just started investing and learning a lot from you. Quick question regarding two stocks. One, rent the runway, stock symbol rent, and the other is stock symbol PAGP. And provides unbiased answers. Losing money, cash flow negative, technicals are horrible. Absolutely run, (laughs) run down the runway. Don't rent the runway. Run fast away from this stock. This is not the type of name that you want to own. Invest Talk. Over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in. I am Justin Klein, and I'm glad to be here helping answer your finance and investment questions and giving you the straight answers, the unbiased answers. No hidden agenda. I'm just here to give you the facts and help guide you. Take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. Everyone has their own path, their their own journey, and you all start from a different place and your end goals are all, all, all a little bit different. But the principles that you can apply are often very, very similar. And so it's about teaching you those principles, understanding uh, various aspects of investing, saving, spending, etc. And that's my goal here is to help you apply all of these concepts to your investment life, your uh, your financial life. And so even though we're experiencing some volatility right now, it doesn't mean that you stop learning. You're always going to learn. And every market day, every market environment gives you an opportunity to learn more about how to make smart investment decisions. So I encourage you to reach out to me at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and give me your question. That's what drives this show. I can talk about whatever is on my mind, but ultimately, it's what's on your mind that is most important. So on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them in front of me with a lot of data and 20 plus years of investment experience. So like I said, you can reach out to me right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can call in, leave your message on our Vestock voice bank. I know that's how the majority of our listeners listen on, uh, on to, to the show nowadays. But either way, that number never changes. It's 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, I just wanted to say I love your show. Just started investing and learning a lot from you. Quick question regarding two stocks. One, rent the runway, stock symbol rent, and the other is stock symbol PAGP. Uh, that's an oil and gas distribution. Thinking with the summer coming for both of these, these are pretty good stocks to own. They seem to have high ratings across multiple investment guides. I wanted to get your thoughts on them. Thanks. 
All right, let's start off with Rent the Runway, and this is one of those high-growth names, and it's, uh, it's losing money, losing a lot of money, as a matter of fact. In 2020, lost $2.71. This year, it's supposed to lose $4.21. Whew, that's, uh, that, that's tough, and it's trading at, right now, $5.44, down 2% today. Losing money, cash flow negative, technicals are horrible. Absolutely run, <laughs> run down the runway. Don't rent the runway. Run fast away from this stock. This is not the type of name that you want to own. And then uh, the other one was PAGP. There we go. PAGP. Plains GP Holdings. This is a limited partnership in the oil and gas space. Probably after that 6.8% yield, and that's nice, but remember, this is a limited partnership, so it's your tax, your ordinary income tax rate. It's not like a normal dividend payer, so understand that. It's reducing its debt. It has a lot of debt on its balance sheet, and that's my issue here, is although their business is strong, their long-term profitability is weak, and it's not trading necessarily cheap either. And it's not nearly as strong as some of the other pipeline companies. So I don't like this one either. Either of these are a, a pass for me. So I'm going to go no on both because rent is just not something you want to own that loses a bunch of money right now. And then there's better pipeline companies out there, masculine partnership companies besides the one you listed. So thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline, five ways inflation can impact per private equity. Private equity started in the 1980s. It was an important decade in the history of private equity. And there's a growing concern now that the first time in over three decades, inflation will be back in a meaningful way. And what will that mean for private equity? And hint, hint, not a lot of good things. So we're going to go over what inflation could do to the space because it's very important. A lot of the leverage within our financial system has moved over to the private equity side of the of the system. And there's a lot of investors, maybe you're one of them, who's chasing a lot of the recent returns in private equity, especially over the last decade, and think that is sustainable. Well, remember, this is a new regime. It's a new, a new market. And if you have a lot of exposure to private equity, you need to be rethinking that because there's new risks that are uh, unlike anything the industry has seen for many decades. So we're going to look over that as well. I also want to touch on the current sentiment in the market and some bearish bets, lots of bearish bets being placed on the market. And what would that, what does that mean over the near term? Then fiscal stimulus. There's a huge drag coming, especially in the second quarter of this year. What does that look like overall? And then lastly, we're going to look at the financial system more broadly and where the, the risks are. Hint, hint, it's not in the big banks. So that's, what's on, that's what's on my mind, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. 888 chart is how you reach me right now. now. Let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P down 44 points, and that was about 1%. Certainly closed off the lows above some a major support level. So I thought that was interesting. And this is all the news that 
Uh, Russia has, whether you call it invade or how, whatever they want to call it, they have troops in a couple of uh, ethnically Russian parts of Ukraine. And the big question, this, this wasn't the hard red line that uh, uh, Biden kind of talked about uh, in a speech, what was it, yesterday, day before. And I don't think there's going to be major implications for this because this isn't going into more um, bitterly contested areas of Ukraine. There are a lot of, like I said, ethnic Russians within these, these, these regions. And this was kind of expected in a way. The bigger question now is, does, does he take the next step and get even more uh, aggressive in uh, crossing more lines? And I think that would put a bigger spook in the market. But then at the end of the day, does it really matter? I think there was some stat that Ukraine's entire GDP amounts to a couple of weeks of Walmart's sales. It's really nothing uh, in the grand scheme of things. And these things tend to blow over uh, rather quickly. And certainly there's a risk of escalation and, and bigger, uh, worse things happening. But vast majority of the time, it doesn't. There's a lot of talk. There's, there's a lot of uh, discussions. Both sides make some concessions. And uh, there's not a lot of bloodshed. And things move on. And frankly... That's probably where we're headed. Uh, so it was interesting that we didn't break any major support today, but we'll see for the rest of the week. We have a short week this week, but uh, we'll be keeping an eye on those major support levels. Now we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. We have just posted an all new February Rapid Fire Hour. It's available now as a free podcast download. I took on 23 questions and listeners are reacting positively. Got a lot of great feedback. So please tell your friends about the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast right now for free over on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now the Invest Talk phone lines are open for you. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now let's pivot to our focus point on the day, and it's about private equity. And for everyone out there, if you don't know, the companies like Bain Capital, Carlyle Group, Blackstone Group, they were all founded back in the 1980s when private equity industry really got off the ground. And a lot of it had to do with high yield debt issuance and just being able to finance acquisitions and, uh, and create funds that were built to uh, buy private companies. So they call it private equity and turn them around in some way, uh, squeeze out some synergies and earn higher, high returns for their limited partners. And ever since the eighties, inflation has been on the decline. Interest rates have also been on decline. And that means 
a tailwind for the industry as a, as a whole because there were lower financing costs for buying these companies and it pushed the multiples higher. So kind of like when you're flipping a house, a lot of the gains have to do with, okay, if, if the real estate market is strong over those six, nine months that you put the money into the house, that, that adds to the the return you're going to get and vice versa. If it gets weak, that that's suddenly a bad thing if you're a house flipper. Uh, and that's the same thing in the private equity world where they were buying these companies and usually with debt, a lot of leverage, and they were turning them around in some way over the next few years and they either go public or they sell them again and they improve the companies in some way, especially cash flow. And then they got on top of that multiple uh, expansion. And so there's a double whammy and two ways to earn extra returns. Now, the big question is, how is an inflationary environment going to shift? And actually, the COO of Blackstone wrote about this in the Q1 uh, 2021 investor call. It talks about inflation as the major risk out there today. So there's five ways it's going to affect the industry as a whole. One is financing costs. So the cost of debt is a very important factor in private equity performance and how the their models work. And if suddenly the, the costs are no longer declining, now they're increasing, private equity investors may see their returns uh, become more limited. And then will they be able to roll the debt as well? Because a lot of times this debt is, is sometimes short term. They have to roll the debt as they're continuing to um, transform the companies that they're buying. And this will lead to higher borrowing costs and could potentially lead to more bankruptcies as a whole. Then you have valuations. And valuations, uh, like I said, were, were going up. And now you're seeing that in the market a bit. There's multiple contraction. There's the rule of 21. And it basically says the market's PE multiple plus the CPI should add up to 21. So if the CPI now is 7. It's basically in the PE of the market should be 14. Now it's about 19. Um, but remember, that's short term, um, 7, 7% CPI. But that should even out by the end of the year around 3 or 4%. Now in the private equity market, the rule is actually 12. So it's, okay, what is inflation? And then your EBITDA multiple should be around 8 if your inflation is around four, so that's about 12, right? But if inflation is elevated, then suddenly those multiples are gonna come down. And uh, there were parts of the last 10 years where even multiples were closer to 12 because inflation was next to zero. And so higher inflation means lower EBITDA multiples. And then asset selections. Very, it'll be very important to buy businesses that are more B2B, they're less price sensitive, so able to pass on costs a little bit better. And those that be able to scale with less employees, they're gonna be less affected by uh, a tighter workforce and, and, and the higher cost of, of, of workers. And then uh, inventory management, operation management, efficiency will become more and more important than before, and then a hurdle rate. So there, there's, a, there's basically a guaranteed rate that they give to uh, limited partnerships, and those hurdle rates were declining. They started at eight, and they were declining. Now they're gonna probably go back up to compete with safer investments that are out there. So that's how inflation is affecting the private equity market. Now moving into a break, and the podcast is loaded with content, uh, but I welcome your questions at 888-99-CHART.
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, a question for Justin. This is Matt in South Florida. Wanted to talk about Lucid, ticker symbol LCID. I know this is the type of stock over the past two, three months that Justin has advised to stay away from, and I have, but wanted to see now that is it right around $27 off of a 52-week high at 64 if it's not currently at a price to look at, we'd be interested what the price would be. The product itself obviously is incredible. I had a chance to see it in the Miami showroom, and the cars get range approaching 400 miles, which is a game changer. So wanted to get Justin's overall take. I'm guessing they'll say it's still a little overvalued, but want to know the price where you start to buy in. Thanks again. How do you value a company that burns capital at an alarming rate and loses money? That's very difficult. And it has next to no revenue right now. Still very difficult. And it's a $42 billion market cap after going down 60%. This is likely to go down 90% from its highs, which is around 60 bucks. So I'm saying single digits, single digits, then it might be a discussion, but I'm not buying, I'm not paying a $42 billion. Think about that. $42 billion. I don't care how nice the car is. The car industry is a terrible business. Go look at the history of Ford and GM and all of the... The large companies. There's a reason there is massive consolid. There's been massive consolidation throughout the years of different brands. Why? Because you need scale to be competitive. You need tons of factories all over the world, and your margins are still very, very low. And it's very capital intensive, and you need a lot of working capital, a lot of equipment, a lot of factories. A lot of employees, if you're going to produce here, unionize for the most part. And it's just a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype in this market. It's coming out rapidly. But remember, this is very similar to dot-com bubble 1.0. Now, the, the names are different. There's a few additional kind of sectors that got overhyped, think crypto, electric vehicles, but it's very, very similar. And the vast majority of those names went down 90% plus, and that's going to happen again. So when you see these stocks down 60, 70%, there's zero reason they can't go down more. Why should Lucid be worth $42 billion when they have next to no sales? And they're projected to lose a dollar share next year, issue more shares, dilute existing shareholders. They're interesting, but they're not investable at this point, especially with the chart. The chart looks horrendous. Absolutely putrid. It's been consolidating below the, all the major moving averages for the past month. It means it just wants to go much, much lower. So single digits, you give me a, a multiple under 10 billion, 
then I'll talk about it. But it's definitely not worth $42 billion. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we have to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. FD says, I own BWA in my individual portfolio. I bought it around $46.50 10 months ago on the EV play because this company makes car parts. It has not done much, and over the past month, it looks to be consolidating. Wanted to know if it's worth keeping. So this is Borg Warner. And they make drivetrain and engine components for the light vehicle market. So they're an OEM manufacturer, uh, meaning that they, own, they they make a lot of the parts that go into uh, the cars that you buy. So looks like their largest customer is Ford and Volkswagen, the 13 to 11%. Obviously, they're in a big EV push, both of them. Europe counts for 35% of their sales, Asia 34, North America 30. So well geographically diverse. So that's a positive. But they make turbochargers, e-boosters, e-turbos, so that's good, uh, timing systems, emission systems, thermal systems, uh, ignition technology, uh, gasoline ignition technology, powertrain sensors, cabin heaters, lots of different parts that go into internal combustion engine cars. So I don't think this is an EV play at all. Um, and technically, it remains very weak. Now, it's not expensive, I will say that, but... I don't like the the technicals. It remain it continues to make lower highs and lower lows, and I just don't like that trend. So, you know, long term, I think it's fine um, because I I like the OEM manufacturers more than I like the OEMs, and they have consistent cash flow, consistent profitability. Um, I wouldn't call it a pure EV EV play at all, but technically, near term, it looks bad. Uh, but longer term, the value looks pretty solid. So it depends on your time horizon here. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 Now, on the next Invest Talk, this story crude prices recently crossed $90 per barrel, representing an increase of more than 20% this year. And Russia was the largest supplier of natural gas and oil to the European Union last year. Oil trades in a global market, so obviously that's going to affect prices around the globe. And Steve's going to get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live right here on Invest Talk at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. 
so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. I have a question about portfolio diversification. I'm trying to figure out in my mind how you would balance, say, I'm a young investor, so an investor in their 20s or 30s, picking up stocks that are probably going to do well, you know, long term, you know, just those big blue chip stocks that you talk about. So how to balance those, making sure that we get those in our portfolio and buy them very cheap, you know, so that 10, 15 years later they can, or longer, they can be worth a lot more. How to balance having those, but also maintaining a small enough portfolio that we can manage it. I know that you mentioned having maybe 20 stocks or so. I find myself in a position where I have probably about 40, and some of those are kind of those big names that I think that I want to own long-term, but then also being responsive and reactive to the current environment and trying to get some industrial stocks, gold and whatnot. So it's just something that I've been playing around in my head with and wondered what your thoughts were on that. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Well, great question. And you said you have about 40 stocks, and, and that's probably near the, the top end of, of what I would, uh, the total number of positions that I would want you to have. I think the sweet spot's more in the 25 to 35 range. Uh, 20 might be a little bit, a little bit too low. 
Um, but that's the start. That's just the, the beginning of it. Uh, obviously, you don't want to go more than probably 5% or so per uh, for, for one individual position, an individual stock. Now, if you're looking at an ETF, a mutual fund, or something like that, that can go higher because that's naturally uh, broader, broadly diversified. Uh, but then you want to be looking from there, you want to be looking at different sectors and diversifying among different sectors. So you want to probably have exposure to every sector in the market. Every sector. There's 11 different sectors and you don't necessarily need to, and I would probably recommend you don't have the same weighting as the overall market. A lot of people will say that, right? You just uh, look at the S&P and then you pick individual names that correspond and you want roughly what the S&P uh, S&P allocation is. So the cyclical sectors would be basic materials, consumer cyclicals, financial services, and real estate. And in the S&P, financial services are about 14%, consumer cyclicals about 12 And I would actually say you want more real estate and basic materials than the indexes. Those are only about 2% right now. So you want to up a lot of those sectors, but uh, definitely real estate and basic materials compared to the indexes. Then you have the... Uh, the, the sensitive industry, so communication services, energy, industrials, technology, and right now 25% of the S&P is technology. That should be a lot lower right now. Maybe not higher, a lot higher than 3.5% in energy, okay? Uh, industrials, about 8 that should be higher as well. And then consumer defensives, that's, uh, there's three of those. Defensive, uh, sorry, there's three defensive industries. It's consumer defensive, healthcare, and utilities. And, you know, those should probably be roughly equal weight to what the, the S&P is. So that's how you want to think about it, is what sectors do you want to have the most exposure to? And don't be guided by just what the S&P uh, sectors are. Come up with your own weighting. That's what we do. We want to be overweight particular industries based on the overall economy, whether growth is, is, is increasing or decreasing. If growth is increasing, you want to be more cyclical names. If growth is decreasing, you want to be more defensive names. Okay, and then there's inflation. So if inflation is rising, you want to be not as much in things like utilities uh, because interest rates are rising, right? If inflation is coming down, or sorry, if, if yeah, inflation is coming down, that's going to help things like consumer defensive because their input costs are going down and their margins are typically very thin. So those are the ways to think about broader diversification. 40 names, a little on the high end, but not crazy. Uh, and focus on just creating a broad asset allocation strategy and model. Thanks for the call. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about, let's see, 20 minutes left. So get your call in now. Now, there are some interesting statistics that came out that short sellers are adding aggressively to their bets against the market at the fastest pace in nearly a year. And this means sentiment is pretty poor. Now, short sellers added $8.6 billion to their bets against the S&P, uh, the, the spiders, the SPY, over the four weeks through last Thursday. That's the highest since the four-week period ending in March of 2021. 
Now, what they're they're also loading up. Investors are loading up bets against large tech companies that had been do- doing really well in recent years, but they're positioning for a reversal, kind of a catch up. Think of all of the Pelotons and Zooms and Netflixes of the world that had terrible earnings announcements and and reactions, and the expectation now is. The companies that haven't fallen 50, 60, 70% yet are going to catch up. The NVIDIAs of the world, the Teslas, the Apples, the Texas Instruments. Those are the ones that are getting the biggest bets. Another interesting stat is three out of five of the most active days for put option trading in history have occurred in the first weeks of this year. And call options on single stocks as a percentage of total option activity fell to the lowest level since April of 2020. So before government started sending out checks to people to put in the market and put in into call options. So sentiment has shifted pretty dramatically. There's also bigger bets against bonds as well. High yield bonds, the HYG and LQD, recently jumped to the highest levels on record. So fears of higher interest rates. What this is telling me, though, is that near term, the market likes, remember this, the market likes to hurt the most people at any given time. When the most people are offsides on a particular view in the market, there often is a snapback. And I actually think we're pretty close to that. If you look at the market today, the VIX closed definitely off its highs, but you're still around 29, 28, it's about 81. That's one of the highest closes this year on the VIX. We held support on the major indices. Gold was up. So inflation expectations continue to be there. Uh, What's interesting is interest rates started to come back down. TNX is actually up one, one basis point today. But I think it's very instructive that we didn't break any major support today. So we'll see. Certainly can happen by the end of the week, but uh, the sentiment within the market has become pretty bearish, and that usually means a short-term bounce. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support, and our free downloads will continue, but I want to make you aware of the two other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. Invest Talk has a YouTube channel and an Instagram following. We're building out more content on both platforms, so go go over to YouTube and Instagram and search Invest Talk. Remember, use two Ts, and please tell your friends. And now let's fit in another iTunes review question. Lonnie says, what are your thoughts on ticker symbol SNDL? SNDL. I have 1,450 shares currently. I'm planning to hold because I believe in their growth potential with the merger with Alcana that will diversify and improve their existing portfolio. Sundell Growers. This is a Canadian company engaged in production distribution of cannabis for medical and recreational access. Losing money, still trading at pretty high multiples. The technicals are poor. 
Did get a little bit of a bounce up to the 100-day moving average, but rejected it rather quickly. Yeah, uh, not, not a name I, I would want to be in. I don't like the Canadian cannabis companies. I rather own the domestic multi-state operators. There's more upside there. In Canada, cannabis is already legal. So what's the upside? It's a very small market. And I much rather, I much rather, uh, yeah, I much rather own companies that are here that are going to be able to grow here once everything is legalized. So I don't love the technicals. Now I will say there's some recent, recent interesting news on in November, they're going to repurchase about $80 million of common stock outstanding. Hmm. Eighty million dollars that would be okay yeah so that would be eight percent of the float i like that that's good but still trading at a high multiple so i'm going to pass on sundial growers now it's february and we're moving fast i know it's a it, the year's going to go by fast and already there's a lot of news coming out a lot of volatility and the question is are you prepared for this market environment. There's opportunity. Although this market in 2022 is not going to be like 2021, it's not going to be as lucrative as last year. There still are opportunities. And the question is, are you set up for that? Do you have the skill set? Do you have the data, the discipline, and the overall allocation that will allow you to be successful? Well, if you need help, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. I know there's uh, a lot of people that maybe are struggling, not understanding how to handle this new market, and that's why we do these portfolio reviews to make sure that our listeners are, are prepared and they can be successful in any type of market. So this is, uh, this is the goal of these calls and we'd love to help you in any way. 8899 chart, 889 Let's touch on the fiscal situation, the fiscal cliff that we're, we're gonna experience this year. Oh, actually we're gonna go to a live call Chris from, was it Atlanta? Chris, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, I was actually calling. This is the first time I got to talk to you guys live uh, from the East Coast. So I'm glad I got through. Appreciate um, you calling. I'm start, yeah, I'm doing a small portfolio learning on my own. I have a much larger portfolio through work. And, you know, I'm trying to pick one sector at a time, kind of listen to you guys, what you think is good to jump in and what find what I like. And, you know, so I'd already covered basic materials just with gold, right? I didn't diversify inside of there. And I didn't know, like, at this time, like, I'm interested in, like, either Southern Copper or Freeport Mac brand. Would you target some more basic materials? Like, and go, you know, like, target some copper stocks? Or I thought about diversifying. My other option was diversifying out into, like, a, uh, a healthcare industry, at, you know, like... Uh, Pfizer or Abbey, what would what would you do in this situation to start now? Well, 
I mean, we, we own Southern Copper for our managed accounts. So when we like copper, I think copper is going to be continuously in demand, especially as you move towards a more electric grid. And so many people are, so many companies are moving towards uh, electric vehicles, which contain a lot more copper than your, your traditional car. Uh, so we, we like copper. Uh, now, it's hard for me to say, should you branch out beyond uh, basic materials, that's seeing your whole portfolio. If you have no other exposure to, what sector were you looking at in addition? I, I, was, I was looking into health, like just health healthcare. Yeah, yeah I, if you don't have any healthcare, you should definitely be looking at other healthcare companies uh, and trying to diversify that way before you add to your basic material exposure. Because there are great opportunities, still great opportunities in healthcare. There's certainly a lot of pitfalls, especially with the large pharmaceutical companies that have big patent cliffs coming up, and you have to be very careful with that. Um, but you, 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 you should diversify out if you have no healthcare exposure. Uh, but it's not my favorite part of the market. But every sector has opportunity, and if you're just ignoring a complete sector as a whole, then you're not able to find the best opportunities in that sector. So if you have no healthcare exposure, yeah, I would start to buy some healthcare stocks before going and adding to something like a, a copper exposure. And do you see a possibility of a pullback like for copper in the future? Because I mean, that's one reason why I haven't really pulled it for them. I'm like, mm, they seem like they're running and kind of not coming back. Well, I would say copper prices look pretty bullish to us. Overall, it's uh, trading above all the major moving averages, and but there, there is cyclicality to to copper. Uh, copper is used in a lot of different things, especially buildings. So there's some headwinds when it comes to less building in places like China, which has used a lot of copper, and historically the last decade or two has been a big big consumer of copper, and so so there's always kind of pros and cons of which areas of the, the global economy are using more, some areas using less, but longer term we see uh, strong tailwinds for the copper space. Is there going to be a pullback? You know, you had a little pullback today. Uh, probably less less uh, to do with anything real fundamental, um, but you're always gonna see some volatility. Do I expect it? Yes, I expect volatility in, in the copper space just because that's the nature of what it is. So, um, but I would be looking at healthcare companies first. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Ali. My question is regards to stock I own by the name of Ingredion. I-N-G-R is the ticker symbol. I bought this a couple of years ago, and it's done well past couple of quarters. It hit a high of over $100. But I think it's missed its earnings this last week, and it's come down substantially. It's a long-term 
prospect for me. I was just wondering if you had any advice if I should uh, dollar cost average or if I should sell a position. I would look forward to your answer. Thank you. All right, looking at Ingredient, this is a name that we, we do own for clients, and we, were, we did not love the latest earnings report, and neither did the market. So I think that's the, the issue here. And you know, I've talked a lot about retail companies that are over-earning, meaning there, there were a lot of tailwinds to consumer spending and uh, shutting down of, of, of competition uh, over the past 18 months or so, and that caused their margins to increase, and those are going to come back down. Uh, whereas Ingredient, and for everyone else out there, what Ingredient does is they make ingredients like food starches and liquid sweeteners, uh, mainly derived from corn. So a lot of inputs to packaged foods, things like that. And historically, they have good, cons uh, consistent profitability, cash flow, good balance sheet, etc. But they've been hit recently because of headwinds with inflation, higher costs of transporting their goods. Now, they've hedged out a lot of their corn and natural gas price uh, costs, which is good. But in the near term, <clears throat> those transportation costs have, are, are biting. And you're still expected to see earnings grow 7% this year and 10% next year. But that's, that's, those estimates are coming down. And so you know, we're more neutral on it. It's actually on our chopping block because of that, uh, that issue that they haven't been able to successfully manage the, the inflation environment. And so if that's the, the case, once again, I think for the first quarter, then it's definitely um, probably a, a, a one we would put on the bench, shall we say. So uh, definitely a concern in the near term because of that, uh, that cost of, of, uh, of transportation. Long term, I still think it's going to be fine. Um, still well-run company and uh, big, needed, right? Their products are needed. It's, it would be considered a consumer staple. And so... Uh, it depends on your time horizon. Near term, I think it's probably going to continue to struggle. Longer term, I still think it's a good buy. Now, lastly, let's get to the fiscal drag that we're going to see this year. And we know that there was a lot of federal support for the economy in 2020 and 2021. And that created a very strong growth for 2021. Inflation-adjusted GDP rose 5.5% in the fourth quarter from the same period a year earlier, the best annual rate since 1984. Why? Because there was $3.6 trillion in federal spending in response to the pandemic. Stimulus checks, uh, enhanced unemployment benefits, child tax credits, aid to state and local governments, etc. And that has been winding down though. And many of those assistance programs have expired. And what that means is there is now a fiscal when you have a fiscal boost, there's a hangover to that. And it's a fiscal drag. You always have to keep that spending going. Otherwise, it's going to put a drag on GDP. And by most estimates, the relief packages created about a six percentage point boost in GDP last year. And this year, that drag is going to be less than 2%. So equivalent to a 4% drag for the year. And it's going to bite especially hard in the second quarter because that's when Biden's pretty much main stimulus package was passed uh, soon after he was elected and checks went out. I forgot it was $1,500 or whatever. And Goldman expects GDP to grow 2.2% in the fourth quarter of this year. 
And so a big step down from what you, what you saw last year. Now the, the good thing is there's still a lot of money left from those, those packages on consumer balance sheets. Uh, but there's going to be, it's going to be less supportive as you would imagine, unless build back better is passed. We don't see that happening anytime soon. But what's interesting here is there's still money left for state and local governments. A lot of states and local governments have, have a lot of tax revenue because of higher home prices, higher asset prices, etc. more incomes, lower unemployment, all of those things. And, and they can continue to spend. And that could uh, also keep the economy relatively strong, along with uh, consumer balance sheets that are, that are also strong. So those are kind of the pros and cons of what you're seeing in the economy this year. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We, we do track our download numbers, and sometime tonight or tomorrow, we expect to surpass 39 million. Thanks to you. So get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.